Hey everyone, over these next two holiday weeks, we are going to replay two of our favorite episodes from earlier on in the life of the show. We hope that you enjoy them, whether you've heard them before or whether they are fresh to you. Uh, And we will be back with new episodes after the first of the year. Welcome to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you have trouble deciding between Just One More Cupcake and Just One More Kettlebell Swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shaw-Flam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And Daphne isn't here today because we have a special guest. And our guest is Leanne Brown. Hi, Leanne. Hi. (laughs) So we're going to talk about why you're here in just a second. Um, But before we get started, um, if you're listening, remember to talk to your doctor before beginning any workout or nutrition plan. So, Leanne, we don't know each other. I stalked you from the internet from many years ago when I (laughs) saw your book on one of the food blogs or food justice type blogs that I read. I wish I knew where it was because that would be nice to give them a shout out. But um, you do a really cool thing. So can you give us just like a short version of who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So I always have difficulty defining exactly what I do, but I sort Mm -hmm. of like to say, I guess I'm a cookbook author and I'm sort of like a food advocate person as Mm -hmm. well. Um, So my book that you read about and probably the reason you would have ever found out about me is my book, uh, Good and Cheap. And Good and Cheap is a cookbook for people who are sort of, it was designed, I designed it to be for people who are living on a very low income, basically like a food stamps diet. Mm-hmm. And so the sort of, the tagline is eat well on $4 a day. And $4 is the average amount that a person is living on. Food stamps or SNAP as it's properly called, mm-hmm. um, has to work with. And it was my thesis project for my master's degree at NYU. And so it started out as after I graduated, it was just, it was a PDF. It only existed online. Um, and I wanted to get it out to as many people as possible. Cause of course the idea was not for this to just like live on a dusty shelf being read by one person, right. but really, you know, like theses sometimes <laughs> are often are, um, maybe, um, but actually to be sort of put out there to the audience that I had envisioned. And, um, initially I thought, okay, I'll work with like some nonprofits, some of the people I volunteered with, um, but that was taking too long, basically, and I'm really impatient. And so I decided to just put it up on my website for free. And from there, um, about a month after I put it up, it ended up being discovered by someone on Reddit. <laughs> sure. This is one Which, of the good things that yeah, happens from being discovered I on Reddit. I know. <laughs> I was actually, that was when it first happened. Um, I came home from my part-time job and I opened up my computer. I had all these messages I was like, oh my God, what is happening? <laughs> right. And then I realized some of them were, people were mentioning Reddit. I was like, oh my God, what are they saying? Do they hate me? Right. Like, <laughs> is this, cause I was just assuming, I don't know. I'd heard all these things. Um, but it was For people who people don't know, being, Reddit is like a message, sort of like the ultimate message board where people um, can post on essentially any topic. Anything. Um, and it's, yeah. a, it's really great in that like really like um, sort of niche stuff that might not get found is like found by all these people who are interested in it. It also can be like terrible because it's like this mob mentality, like scary place, but it can be really great for something like if you have like a PDF of a cookbook you made that all of a sudden gets discovered yeah, by this It's really audience. exciting for, because the right people are finding out about it. The people are yeah. most interested. So this was on a, a part of, uh, one of their listservs that was called eat good and, or was good cheap eats or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, made total sure. sense. And so that worked perfectly, but yeah, sometimes it can be a little terrifying. And actually 
50,000 people came and downloaded the book wow. on that first night and it actually broke the website, which is something that sure. I think they often do because yeah. there's just so many people. Um, but it was like a wonderful, joyful thing. People were being so supportive. And so from there, um, I realized, because it, it, it had been, I, you know, I'm skipping over sort of the nasty details, which is, you know, after graduating, I was kind of like, what the hell am I doing with myself? Right. What, you know... I was really nervous, you know, as things weren't panning out, it wasn't that I was just impatient, but I was feeling like maybe this wasn't something that was useful to people. Sure. And I was feeling just sort of disappointed in that and, and unsure of myself. And, mm -hmm. um, so what this did, it was just like a huge boost in confidence and just, it was like all these people crying out and saying, this is useful. This is useful for me right now. This means something to me in my past. I think this could mean stuff in the future. Mm -hmm. And so I suddenly realized, oh, I have this community of support maybe I can take this forward and it really is just up to me to get it out there for people. So we decided to launch a Kickstarter, um, to fund a print run because that was sort of the, the thing is obviously it's really easy to give away PDFs online for free. It's simple as sure. be, but you're not always reaching as many people as you possibly can. And, um, and of course we really wanted to get to people who maybe wouldn't see it otherwise. So we want to print them, but of course we need money for that. So we stole the sort of Tom's Shoes model, the buy one, give one thing, and uh, ran a Kickstarter with that sort of in mind. Um, and so people figured, would like buy a book and then one would get given to someone who didn't need to buy it. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. you know, the people who supported the Kickstarter would give me, um, I think it was uh, $20. We would, we would donate one and you would get one and 20 or just 25 and then 29 was we would send you one and we would give away two. It was like, we we're trying uh -huh. to incentivize. Yeah, that. totally. Um, and you know, a bunch of other stuff, but we figured we asked for $10,000, which is not just, a small amount of money, not a small amount of money at all. And to, to me, it was like, I'd never, we, it was just my husband. And I would never print books over like, we yeah, really don't know what we were doing. Um, and we figured we could print 2000 books for that. And we would be able to probably, you know, give away a thousand to our backers, mail them all out and then have a party with a couple of nonprofits and give them away. It would be awesome. You know? Yeah. Uh, but we reached that goal in the first 36 hours of the campaign. Ah! Yeah. It was insane. It was like the Reddit thing all over again. And by the end is their month long campaign. We had over 144,000. Oh my goodness. So we obviously had to get a little bit more ambitious. And so we ended up ordering 40,000 books. Wow. Uh, which is substantially different. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> it was amazing. It was so amazing. It was terrifying at the same time, of mm -hmm. course, because we had no idea what we were doing. We lived in a much smaller apartment actually than now. And, um, yeah, it, it was wild, but it was also incredibly exciting. And we, we obviously managed to get them all out. Uh, I think we sent 9,000 to our backers, some, oh, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, more than that out to people for free. And then the balance, I think, ended up being about uh, some 20,000 we sold uh, at cost to different nonprofits. So I think we ended up, gosh, it was like 30,000 we got out to, That's a lot to of people books. all across the country who were getting them for free. Uh, so wonderful. like say goodbye to any concerns you had that this book wasn't relevant or interesting yes, to people. Exactly. Exactly. It was like, wow, there's definitely a market for it. There's definitely huge interest in it. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, and it was really easy to get media and coverage. People were really interested in it. Like, sure. you know, you found out about it and we were mm -hmm. just so lucky to have so many people wanting to write about this totally. idea. So you said that this was a master's project at NYU. Was that the food studies yes, program? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, I went to NYU for undergrad, so I'm, and I worked in food, so I know a lot of people who ended up oh, like cool. going that yeah. route. Um, so what brought you to that program? What was 
what made you decide to get a master's in food studies? Well, so that was, I grew up in Canada, Mm -hmm. um, in Edmonton, Alberta, which is out West and, uh, really sort of long journey. I got my undergrad liberal arts degree. I ended up working for a city count. We sort of got our friend elected to city council and Edmonton is a city of about a million people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, like decently large city, but not huge, obviously. Um, got our friend elected to council and then I ended up working for him for his first term, um, which was a really transformative, fascinating experience. Um, and I still think that local government is a really wonderful place to sort of get things done and to really sort of get involved in your community. Um, if it's much sort of closer to humanity than sort of these higher levels of government. Mm -hmm. Um, and in Canada, it's actually nonpartisan. There's no political parties at the city level as well. So it's a really great place where you can have conversations without these sort of false barriers of party in the way. So it was really cool. Um, but I found myself so drawn to, um, food issues, you know, which would come up fairly rarely really, um, when you're working, um, in a council office, you end up just sort of having to do what comes across your desk, right. what people are, are wanting to deal with, whether it's like, oh, we need a bylaw to keep cats out of our yard or something absurd <laughs> like that or um, or something that is more important. Uh, you just aren't in charge of your time. And so I found myself so badly wanting to dig deeply into these issues of sort of preserving agricultural land and um, helping build more sustainable food systems in the city, but I couldn't. Uh, and so I wanted, I, I thought like, gosh, this is something I'm so drawn to. I, I want to do this, mm-hmm. but I had no idea how, I mean, it's certainly in Edmonton, this was at least like eight years ago or so. I just had no idea how one did that. And so ended up leaving that job, took about a year off, messed around. I made my first cookbook, which is called from scratch, um, really designed for my friends and family and, uh, basically I sold it at a crafts fair, that kind of thing. And I, it was during that time I was doing research, I found out about the program and I was just like, I didn't know this was a thing you could do, but it sounded exactly like what I needed to do. What, um, inspired you to write your first cookbook? Like were, were you a <laughs> home cook? Did you yes. grow up cooking? Like, th- because that's a thing that I think is intimidating for a lot of people when it comes to like attacking this part of their food life is like, if you grew up cooking, it feels like the most natural thing in the world, that it's easy to forget that people who don't grow up doing that, like it's a whole skill set that you have to learn. So I assume that you did grow up cooking? I did grow up cooking um, to a certain extent. Yes. Yes, I did. I mean, my family cooked for sure. And I, um, I became a vegetarian when I was 14, I believe. Um, I'm not anymore, but I was for quite a number of years and, and it was during that time, I sort of said, oh, I don't want to be a pain in the butt to my family, so I'll just do my own <laughs> thing a lot more. Um, and that really taught me a lot more sort of self-sufficiency. Um, but I still, you know, I still struggled with it. I remember when I first moved out um, on my own, I realized, you know, sure, I could cook, but I, you know, I've had very little money, of course, yep. as, you, as you do. And I was like, how do I, what do I buy? Like, what are yeah. the things I need around so that I can cook the things that I want? Because suddenly I didn't have my parents' awesome pantry to sort of go into. Yes. Yeah. When I moved <laughs> to New York for college and was in my first apartment, I all of a sudden became aware of the sheer amount of money that was sitting in my parents' cabinets in the form yes! of pantry goods. Yes. I was like, I will never have <laughs> that. Like I, you know, just when I would go back home and be like, you just have, you know, rice just sitting there. Like you just have spices. Like 
if I get a recipe, I don't have to buy like all of these things that I'm only going to use uh, a little bit of, which yes. is, I think what's another thing that's really intimidating cost wise when you're starting to cook is, and a, a reason that I think these sort of like pre um, packaged, like we send you the exact ingredients you need type of meal plans are so popular for sure is that when I was first starting out cooking, yeah. it felt like every recipe I picked would cost me 20 bucks because I had to buy and it does. Yeah, a yeah. whole thing of cinnamon, a whole thing yeah. of, you know, it's a process. Olive oil. You have to kind of commit to cooking is the mm-hmm. thing for it to become inexpensive totally. um, over time. And you have to do it really carefully. And I think you're so right that those are popular, not just because of that, but also, I mean, especially in larger cities, I don't think they're nearly as popular sort of outside. I don't even know if they're offered sort of outside right. of larger cities, but in a large city, we also have so much less space. Yep. You know, even if you wanted, even if you had the money to have that type of pantry, where the hell are you going to put it? Yeah, um, We simply don't have that kind of space. And that's another really big issue. Or, you know, our parents are, have their minivans and are filling them up at Costco and bringing them home, right? Whereas we are having to schlep them from the the grocery store. My husband and I have this fictional place in our minds that we call our country house, which is where we put all of the things we can't have because we live in Brooklyn. (laughs) So we're like, in the country house, we'll have a chest freezer. (laughs) Right. (laughs) My parents have two freezers, which in Brooklyn seems insane, but like, you know, they can do things like, you know, get beef that my, you know, aunt and uncle raised in Nebraska and like keep it. Because there's room for that. Right. If you don't have room for that, it's like, I feel like I'm always going to the store and I'm always spending money Exactly. I'll just get take If someone again. gave us this huge side of beef, we'd be like, well, <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. We're having a huge party this <laughs> week. Huge <laughs> beef party. Um, so that's how you end up at NYU. Um, yes. When you were doing your first cookbook, did you have to like teach yourself how to do things like recipe testing? Like that's yeah, a thing that... to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always taken sort of a more chill approach because I am not, I'm not a chef. I'm a home cook. And that was, to me, the reason I made that first book and and why I've done everything since really is that I think in my life, cooking has been a transformative thing. It means so much to me to be able to make food for myself. It makes me uh, feel powerful. It makes me feel happier. It helps me save money. It helps me feel in control of my life. And much as I, I adore cooking for other people, of course I do. But more than that, I enjoy being able to explain to people how they can do it for themselves as well. Mm -hmm. Um, That was always something, you know, in those first years when I was working um, at City Hall, I got really, really into it. And it just really hit me how much, you know, all my friends and and family even that were, would come over and they'd be like, how did you do this? And it was like, it's not that difficult. It took me like (laughs) 10 minutes. This is so not a big deal. Like I appreciate the kudos, but you need to understand. It's important to me that you understand that this was not a difficult thing for me to do. And it's something that you could do for Mm -hmm. yourself. If this is, Something that is bringing you pleasure and joy right now. You can have that pleasure and joy right. on a regular basis. You don't have to come to me for it every single time. And so that was just something that I really, really love to be able to open up that world. Um, because there are these 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 myths, you know, if you didn't grow up cooking, or even if you did here and there, but you're not as into it, um, it can seem incredibly complex. Totally. And there's a lot of you know, the food industry is this big monolithic thing, but, and if we could generalize about it, it's like, it's in general in their interest that we think it's difficult so they can make more money off of um, prepared foods and sort of simple things like that Mm -hmm. and convincing us that these things are difficult. In addition, of course, comes along the myth that cooking is difficult, um, which, you know, is so complicated how that came about. I mean, there's also like the food network and like the belief that like, well, unless I'm a chef, I must not even be a cook. Um, 
there's also the idea that it's really expensive to eat healthier as right. well. Um, and that's even more complicated. Um, and so I think for a lot of people, it's like, why would I even, if you really believe that, why would you even try? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing. If you don't have enough money um, and you don't feel sort of up to, you don't know much about cooking, why would, if the people are saying these things are not for you, why would you even try? And so that's mm -hmm. why it's so important for us to sort of, I want to kind of counter that in every way possible and sort of as openly and kindly as possible, not saying you should do this or anything like that, but just look at the further options you have and, and the joy that this can bring you. And so that was really, ugh, this question got way off track, but basically <laughs> <laughs> that's what I love to do. And so for me, um, cooking has always, that's always been my attitude is cooking isn't hard. It's, it's very simple. And the food that I make is very basic and it's also um, open-ended. And I don't really care if it comes out exactly the way it came out for me. Um, I want it to be delightful and edible, but I also want it to be in the taste of the person who's who's making it. And so that's why, you know, I tend to say like, add salt to taste. You know, I like chilies in it here. You should add less of it. Mm -hmm. um, I have, the recipes are very, very flexible and sort of open-ended because I think that's what um, is important to teach. That's sort of like unleashing the power of cooking Yes, is realizing like, okay, I made a frittata this way, but you know, I don't have like broccoli and spinach. I have tomatoes and mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Is that going to be okay? It's like, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I want that to be really clear. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the recipes are pretty loose and open. I hope there is try to make them as clear and simple as possible and, and sort of as pared down to really what you have to do. But then also within that, have that variation so that um, you can make them taste the way that you want. You know, it's not important for me that it's like Leanne Brown's signature chicken. Right. Who cares? Yeah. About Leanne, like, why would it, no one knows what that tastes like. What you want is really your chicken cooked the way that you enjoy it. Totally. And so that's sort it's of like the foundational elements to be able to make yourself a meal that doesn't cost $50,000 and doesn't require like, you know, 17 steps. I think that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Um, so we talked about a couple of the particular issues when it comes to um, eating well and eating cheap when you um, don't have a lot of money. Um, one of them being just like the obstacle of feeling like cooking is hard, which yeah. like is a message that we get. Yeah. Um, what are some of the other um, obstacles that you are trying to help people sort of get around in writing the book that are unique to lower income eaters? What are the unique? Well, so I really think the biggest, really the biggest one is that initial mindset. Mm -hmm. um, the sort of, this isn't a thing that I can do. But there's also, if you've never cooked before, um, it's very risky to cook for the first time. Right. Like, for you example, might oh my make gosh, something bad. You might make something bad or something actually inedible. Mm -hmm. And you do not have the wiggle room for that. I think that's really, that's like a sort of privilege that, um, that many of us have that we really, really take for granted. Yeah. Like um, my husband tried to make gnocchi and the recipe was like, it'll either be flowery or too sticky. And his was flowery and too sticky. So <laughs> we just ordered Indian food. But like, if you're on $4 a day and that was your $4, like you, gotta eat that. you have to eat it. You have to eat that it. makes a lot of sense that there's like not, um, like the, you know, no pun intended, the appetite for risk is low. Very, you know, and totally sensibly. Like mm -hmm. that is so, it's very rational. Perfect sense. Imagine, you know, and so say the, the sort of ultimate example of someone who's saying, you know what, I've really never cooked before, but I don't have much money and I recognize that I'm going to save money if I do this. So I'm going to start. And so you go to the store and you're all in 
and you go, okay, I have 30 bucks. So I'm gonna buy, you know, a bag of rice. I'm gonna get some dried beans. I'm gonna get um, some frozen spinach. We're gonna get, you know, some ground beef, whatever, all these sorts of things. And you come home, you don't have anything that you can just put in your mouth right, right. away. Everything has to be prepared. Every single thing. It is actually all inedible without cooking. And I think there's something very scary about that. Um, very viscerally frightening. It's like jumping off a cliff. It's like, okay, is this going to really work? And yes, it will. And we know that, um, you know, we've had mm -hmm. some experience with this. And I think, you know, most people are, are super rational and recognize that that is true, but it's so scary. Um, and so I think a lot of what good and cheap is about trying to take away some of that risk um, making it as clear as possible that this really will work, this is possible. Um, and also to be, to take it easy on yourself, frankly. I don't really recommend that you do that the first time. You know, yeah. get a couple of those items um, that you can experiment with, gain some confidence with. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite, one of my favorites, and so the, the reason I think like so much of this is about fear and sort of um, psychology of letting yourself, um, setting yourself up for success, really. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Um, letting yourself enjoy it as well. You also need to be sure that you're making food that you love as much as you possibly can. You know, don't punish yourself by making, well, this is the cheapest, absolute, best deal, and it's the only... Yes, you should do that as much as you possibly can, as much as that, um, you know, the cheapest stuff also includes stuff you like. Go for it. But do not punish yourself by forcing yourself to eat food that you don't enjoy because that's never going to be something that you're going to be able to right, sustain. Right, it's not sustainable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of my favorite stories um, from someone who wrote to me one time is this woman, and she said, Hey, Leanne, I am... I just found out about your book and I'm in this kind of crazy position. I've been living with a caretaker for 10 years because I'm physically disabled and I've sort of needed that. But here I am going off on my own for the first time. I'm going to be living by myself. Um, I'm on public assistance. And so, you know, I really don't have much money to be working with. Um, and I'm scared. Like I literally have not cooked for myself in 10 years. I don't even know if I can do this. Um, but I found out about your book, and I've been reading it, and you make it sound so simple. <laughs> so like, oh You're my like, God. oh, I hope this ends in a good oh, dear story. God, yes. <laughs> and so she said, you know, I just wanted to let you know, you know, thank you for that. She hadn't even tried anything yet. And so I, of course, was like, oh my gosh, I hope everything goes well. You know, I recommended some places to start. And uh, she was so sweet and said, you know, I'll let you know how it goes. And she wrote back the very next day, and she'd made one of the recipes in the book, which is um, the Mexican street corn or elotes. It's just like such a simple, beautiful recipe. It's just um, roasted corn. You you know put it in the oven or on the barbecue if you happen to have one, but who does in New York anyway? Um, and then you slather it in just a small amount of mayonnaise, crumble some cheese, squeeze of lime, uh, chili powder. It's like salty, sweet, spicy. It's delicious. It's so good. Um, but it's so easy to do. And so she'd made that and she said, Whew. so I made the Mexican street corn and I bit into it and it was so delicious that I just started to cry. And she said, you know, I was crying not just because it was so delicious, but also because I was incredibly relieved. Like I had been carrying this like dark cloud of fear that like I was in trouble. Like I wasn't going to be able to do this. And suddenly in that moment of pleasure, I realized that I was going to be okay. And I felt really empowered and she said oh, i can't wait to make oatmeal for myself the next morning and i thought that was of course really cute and funny and yeah. like the most excited anyone's ever been about oatmeal but uh <laughs> it was just really 
that meant a lot to me. And I, and I think that a lot of people have echoed that same sort of sentiment of mm -hmm. how much it means when you have that waking up aha moment of like, I can do this. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, food is amazing. It's this thing we get to do every day. A lot of us take it for granted. A lot of us try not to think about it too much. Mm -hmm. um, but when, if you let it be a positive force in your life, it can be incredible. It can be so healing and so extraordinary. Instead of, on the flip side though, it can be a terrifying thing. It can be a thing, a trial that you have to get through each day. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what we're trying to take that for a lot of, of you know, and that's so exacerbated by um, situations to do with, with poverty, you know, not just having very little money, but all of the, the situations that might have happened around that. that yeah, if you're you living in, in already a, a life that has like a, a heightened amount of stress and anxiety exactly. because of your situation, then to add to that, like, I also have to figure out how to cook and like, I can't screw it up or my kids don't eat mm -hmm. and you know, and, and I have a I limited have to, amount of time, right? Time I think is huge. And the space you're in often isn't as conducive to cooking mm -hmm. as, as a lot of places. There's just so much going on. And I think, you know, it's about cooking should be about like pure self-compassion, like as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And it should be empowering. It should be this wonderful thing you get to do every day. And so really the, point of the book is just to get you closer to that and so it's such a sort of squishy answer but like that's really I think that's the core of, of what I'm trying to do is just mm -hmm. like get you out of that mindset so that you can have success well I think that's awesome and I think the book totally does that um so the book is called good and cheap and we've talked about what cheap means in the context of the mm -hmm. book it's based on the like I know you said the the calculations for like exactly how snap works is like you know, like trying to figure out the Google algorithm, but yes. it's like the, the like number that gets thrown around is like, it's basically like $4 per yep. person per day, which is not very much. No, it's um, not a luxury. Right. So like, definitely that's what yeah. cheap means. When you said good, like what does good mean to you in that context? Well, so good. Yeah. The reason I actually, I'm trying to be really ambiguous about it actually. Yeah. Totally on purpose because I think, um, rather than saying like ultra healthy or clean eating or, or any of these sorts of things, it's not really because health is a part of it. Um, but it's not something that I really want to, uh, lead with. Um, this I isn't a diet is, book. It's not a diet book. And sometimes that can be really alienating mm -hmm. I think, for a lot of people. Um, myself included, to be honest, I don't really like diet books for the most no, part. Listen, no one likes no. diet books. They like the version of themselves that occurs in their brains in the future where they've like bought the <laughs> diet book and all their problems have been and solved. And it's worked perfectly. Right. Yes. <laughs> Right, exactly. And so to me, it was just very important that it not appear to be a diet book. But the reality is, you know, when you're eating on a really small budget, you also can't afford not to eat as well as, as healthfully as you right, as because you're possibly can. Paying for like food is all these great things like, you know, food is love and food is nourishment and all those things. But food is literally nutrition that you need to live. Exactly. And so if you're living you at that number level, of calories a day to sustain your body. Yep. And if I spend $4 and don't get the amount of calories I need to survive, I am malnourished. And that absolutely is obviously dangerous. You're only going to get yourself in a worse situation. And you know, how can you sort of focus on the much harder problems of your life mm -hmm. when you feel like garbage? So it's very important that the, this stuff actually be generally fairly healthy. Um, while you know, being as sort of open-ended as possible. Mm -hmm. So the, the goodness is like, 
deliciousness, you know, yumminess as is all, but also really what is good for you too. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, good for you, truly nourishing, filling needs to fill your stomach up. You do not want to finish a meal and be like, mm, I'm still hungry. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, you know, that's a real problem. And and you're only gonna sort of fill up on on random garbage that way. But so so they need to be filling and nourishing and it also needs to be delicious. And I think that deliciousness means one thing to me. It means something different to you. Right. Um everything um, and, and so that's why the recipes are also very, very open-ended. And so it's about sort of taking, you know, it's a really practical book. Mm -hmm. It's also, you know, there's all this stuff about dealing with leftovers, sort of how to, you know, how to build your pantry and, and how to use up the vegetables and uh, other things that aren't looking so good at the end of the week. All these sort of deeply practical things, but they're meant, you know, to be through that lens of, you know, there's something wonderful about coming home and just looking in your crisper and you find like some stuff that isn't so good, but you have some eggs and you have, uh, you know, some grains and you kind of cobble yourself a meal out of it. And ultimately it's actually delicious. I don't think I've ever regretted doing that once. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm never like, Oh man, I wish I just ordered that pizza. That would have been so much better than this. Usually it isn't. Um, and even if it would maybe taste better cause this was a bit of an off night, which still happens. Right. Of course. Um, you feel really proud of yourself and really good about using those things up. And so that is, um, the goodness comes from that as well. It's mm -hmm. just like, it's a really sort of all encompassing sort of goodness. And I think different people will focus on different aspects of that, whatever, you know, you need in your life most. Yeah. Well, the book has specific recipes that then have like variations, but it also starts with something that I think is really helpful, which is like general tips for like setting yourself up for eating good and cheap overall. Yeah. Um, and one of those tips is one of my favorite life tips, which I've talked about on the podcast before, <laughs> which is that eggs are amazing. Yes! <laughs> I know. I'm always like, when will the egg council come and sponsor me? No, just kidding. Um, yeah, eggs are the best. First off, you know, yes, they're protein, they're all these things. They are so good and they're so fast to make. And man, you can make almost anything. Like, think about the variety of foods. There's, of course, you know, scrambled and fried and poached, and then you can make them into a frittata or a quiche and these things that feel more like put-together beautiful meals. You can put an egg on top of something. Of course, you can use it in a million. You can make meringues, which are like, what? How's that even related to that other thing? You can use it in all kinds of baking. They're, they're unbelievable, and uh, they're my absolute crutch. You know, when I come home late and I'm tired, eggs, um, mm -hmm. eggs in some capacity, um, or quesadilla are like my go-to. They take no time at all and they feel fabulous. Yeah. And you say another thing in the book, which I think is, um, totally true, which is that eggs are, um, a thing where you can get the fancy ones and it's still relatively it's still really inexpensive. inexpensive. It's still a really good deal. Um, obviously it relative and, and everyone is going to have sort of a different situation. So I don't like to preach about it, but I think that the expensive eggs, you know, the organic or the, um, the free run, the farmer eggs are just tastier. Mm -hmm. They taste so much better. And so I always, I really value that, um, because the way that I tend to use egg really features the egg and I want to taste it, you know, that's really important to me. Um, and so that's what I say, but, mm -hmm. Um, you also, um, say in that section to not spend money on drinks. Um, why not? Why aren't <laughs> we buying drinks, Leanne? Well, cause they're just a waste of money. Like <laughs> really, like when you're at 
um, that price point. If you have a little bit more to be working with, go for it. It's totally fine. There's nothing inherently um, evil about drinks, but ultimately they're just kind of wasted calories mm -hmm. um, at that stage. And, and when you need to be spending it on stuff that will fill your stomach up, that will actually make your body go. Um, because drinks are ultimately, you know, if it, even if it's soft drinks or juices or um, even, you know, fancy teas or kombuchas or anything like that, it's really just ultimately sugar. And that's not going to actually fuel you for very long. And it's not going to fill you up. Um, so it's purely practical. And it's also, it's just like, literally, if you cut that out, you'll save so much money a lot of the time. Especially if you're in the habit of, of buying drinks already. Right. Um, which many people are not. Um, but, and, and the, the fact is, you know, I love a good drink. Like it's, you know, don't get me wrong. Like especially hot drinks, like warm drinks at night at this time of year. But you can prepare those things at home. Um, quite easily sort of out of other things which you would use to make food like if you're making like you can make hot cocoa at home um, out of cocoa and sugar which you can then make brownies and chocolate cakes and all these sorts of things out of um, and same with you know you can make fruit juices sort of light fruit juices I have a recipe for agua fresca which is really just water with some fruit in it um, and then you know you have eaten some of the fruit or used it in some capacity or frozen fruit and so the point is always I think one of my my tips is never buy something that only has a single use you know have some buy only things that have multiple uses and drinks have only one use mm -hmm. um, and they don't even fill you up so they're kind of worthless it, when you're really you heard it here that way. drinks <laughs> worthless uh and then um so in talking about how to you've mentioned this sort of obliquely a couple times but i think this is a thing so my sister lives by herself um She's not living on $4 a day, which is great, but she, one of her main complaints about cooking is, you know, if I'm making a recipe, I buy a thing of greens, I use however much is in the recipe, yeah. and then I waste the rest. And like, that <laughs> feels bad it does. because it's like watching your money dissolve in the fridge. And it's also like not so great environmentally. Um, but you talk specifically about wilted vegetables in the book, which I, I'm also a CSA person. So I oh, always have wilted vegetables my in my fridge. Uh, Such a stress. <laughs> By the end, you're like, oh no, what am I going to do with rutabaga for the seventh week in a row? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so what do we do with our wilted vegetables? So I have tons of suggestions, um, but the big thing is cook them in some way. Wilted vegetables are not great for salads. I think we can all kind of agree No one on wants that. a sad salad. No, they're kind of a bummer, but vegetables are wonderful cooked. And so one of my favorite ones, I always think of the, I have a, the crustless quiche, which is um, a sort of a layer of caramelized onions. And then you chuck in whatever you have. So vegetables of the wilted variety is usually what I use. Like mm -hmm. that's just the right place for them. And then you whip together some eggs and dairy, you know, uh, cheese or you can sometimes use yogurt. You can use whatever you have around. And uh, you pour that to lovely custard, sort of over all the vegetables and bake it. And it's gorgeous at the end of it. And the vegetables will absolutely come back to life. They'll give incredible flavor to this, this thing and uh, you will not have wasted them. So that's a great one. I mean, fried rice, uh, jambalaya, uh, yeah, cooking them with grains, um, simply just sauteing them, even also taking some wilted vegetables and doing this stuff on toast um, can work really, really well. Uh, yeah, stuff on toast is a recipe in your book that is literally like, put things on some toast. Exactly. I know. Um, it's, it feels absurd, but that is frequently my dinner. Um, and it's they're some of my absolute favorites. And I've, I've loved hearing from people who have said, thank you for giving me permission to just eat stuff on toast. <laughs> this is what I always wanted to do. I sort of always thought that was cheating or something. I was like, no, man, that counts. There That's are cooking. no rules. Yeah. <laughs> eat your stuff on toast. What do you eat on your toast? Exactly. 
Do you so have favorites? I have lots of favorites, but my favorite is one of the ones from the book, The Broccoli. Um, it's mm. broccoli with a little bit of anchovy and a little parmesan and chili flakes. Oh, it's so good. You know, it doesn't sound that exact. It's incredible. It's like bitter and sharp and cheesy and oh i absolutely love it and with like buttery bread underneath it's just i absolutely adore it uh now i'm hungry and i <laughs> want to go eat some stuff on some toast um are there any other things that you consider sort of part of your like basic arsenal of like you know general things to think about when you're trying to you know cook on the cheap and and make sure it's good yeah um it's okay if we covered everything. No, I mean, I don't ones. think we did. I'm just trying to think of something specific to make this clear. I Let's sort of go back to that idea of buying, not buying single-use items. So, yeah. so things like, it can sometimes seem more complex at first. And that's why I sort of say, slowly build up your pantry. Like, don't get stressed out about this. You can make the same things a few nights in a row. That's not a bad thing. That's, mm -hmm. that's efficient. And like, if you like eating that way, that's great. Um, so, you know, maybe for a week you're having a, chick a lot of chickpea dishes, you know, you're having hummus and you're having the chana masala, which is like a curried chickpea dish from the book, um, or you're just having them simply as a salad or something like that. Um, or one week you may have a lot of oats, something, uh, something to sort of think about there. But, um, basically slowly build up your pantry and don't get things like pancake mix which will only ever be pancakes. Buy flour, baking soda, baking powder, and then you can have pancakes and you can also have biscuits and bread and cakes and like anything, any kind of amazing baked good. Um, same with, uh, I really don't like jarred pasta sauces. Mm. Um, they tend to be, they're often at least one and a half, sometimes twice as expensive as just buying a can of tomatoes. And often they're really, a can of tomatoes with a bunch of weird random junk in it mm -hmm. um, that it doesn't even add flavor but is just preserving it in some way and so you're not getting a heck of a lot of value there whereas if you buy cans of tomatoes you, know, you can make any kind of pasta sauce with you know my favorite simple one with garlic yep and like chili flakes and sometimes lemon zest um but uh i forgot where i was going with this it's okay it makes a lot of sense yeah. to like you know break down the stuff, the one use stuff into its elements. And, and like you were saying with yeah. the pancake mix or with the hot cocoa and say like, you know, instead of spending like $6 on this package of hot cocoa packets, I can spend that on, you know, these other things and, ha and look, really increase my options. Exactly. And so that's, yes, thank you very much for getting me back on track. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, the idea is buy the elements that are close to that, that will allow you to have more variety. Mm -hmm. Because a can of tomatoes can be pasta sauce, it can also be something to cook your rice in, or it can be um, something to cook your shrimp in, or yeah, your you know, chili, the, or... Oh my gosh, yeah. it, it's just so many more options available to you. But I recognize that, that it doesn't feel that way when you're first starting out with cooking, because that that's sort of like third level, mm -hmm. you know? You need to actually understand how does how do these sort of common dishes that I make come together? What are the common elements? And so that may be something that you sort of learn as you go a little bit, but you will be able to be so much more efficient if you're you're making things sort of out of their basics um, than if you're buying the one single use item. Mm -hmm. I think thinking about it by ingredient is actually really helpful in terms of like teaching yourself yeah. the different ways you can use a thing. Like say you know if I'm cooking just for myself, it's probably you know 
<laughs> ingredients go a lot faster when you're cooking for four. But if you are a single person cooking for yourself and you're like, oh, I bought this dozen eggs, like what am I going to do? I think it would be, it would totally work to like look through the book and say like, okay, I'm going to this week cook all of the recipes that have eggs in them. Yeah. And some will be for breakfast and some will be for dinner. But by the end of the week, I'm going to know, I'm going to have like tried five different ways to cook eggs. Yeah. And I'll sort of have my favorite. Mm -hmm. and, I'll know. and same with chickpeas. Yeah. Like if I get a couple cans of chickpeas, I'm just going to cook all the things in the book that have chickpeas in them or can have chickpeas in them. And then like next time I have extra chickpeas, I'll have ideas of what to do. Exactly. It's like sort of a way to You're teach building yourself. up your arsenal. That's mm -hmm. true. Um, exactly. As, as you, the more you do, the more you will learn and the more it, it's kind of exponential. Like you become more powerful and more creative because you just have more experience with mm -hmm. everything. And it doesn't take that long either. And it's not like you need to have, you know, I have God knows how many dishes in my sort of repertoire of things that I've made. It's a lot, right? right. Especially because I tend to be one of those people who ne doesn't cook the same thing all that often. Mm -hmm. um, but you don't really need more than like 20 yeah. or 30 or something, you know. You don't have to do that many things. If, if that isn't something that seems that exciting to you, um, it's totally fine to just have a, a few that you really, really like and that are your go-tos. And mm -hmm. that will simplify your life and you'll know you're making something that you enjoy. And that's totally fine. And if you can get down to that, you can also make your shopping very, very efficient. Right. Well, so if people either want to get the book or I bet a lot of people are listening to this and think like, so-and-so really needs this book. <laughs> um, how can people find it? And like, what is the life of the book these days? I know it's been a couple years since you first released it. So yeah. Well, so after, I think we got up in the story to the Kickstarter, right? Um, but it was during that I heard from some publishers. And so I ended up going with a publisher, um, Workman Publishing. They've been amazing and they've helped me, um, keep the, the promise of the buy one, give one sort of going forward. And so we, we created a second edition together, added a bunch of recipes to that, and and actually a bunch of front matter too. Things like I didn't think about how much people were interested in some of these cooking tips mm -hmm. um, or some of these pantry tips. I always that's the part of cookbooks that I tend to skip. So I was like, oh, people need this. Okay, well we'll add a bunch more. Right, I can write um, that. Yeah, it was great. You know, it's been so cool being so sort of open to hearing from people and making the book free. Um, originally, I was able to get a ton of feedback from people about how to make it better. Um, so I, I highly recommend that in general <laughs> as a way of sort of developing your work. Um, but so now it is last summer, the second edition came out, went on a book tour, was incredible for several months. It was unreal. And, uh, yeah, so now it's basically just available everywhere. It's available, of course, on Amazon or in your local bookstore, um, pretty much wherever books are sold. Um, and for every copy that we that you buy, we donate one. And if you're interested in hearing or reading about what we're doing there, you can go on my website, leannebrown.com. You can order the book through there. You know, I have links mm -hmm. to that. I also have the PDF, which is still available there for free. And uh, there's leannebrown.com slash impact is our page. That's my favorite page. <laughs> and it's our a map that shows all the different nonprofits that we've worked with. Um, so there's pins just all over the, all over the states. We're in every single state now. Took a long time to get into Wyoming, but we finally <laughs> just have to find someone yeah, in I was Wyoming. Like, oh, man, like, no, no, no. Hello. Um, it's just because it's not very populous, of mm -hmm. course. But uh, so we have some, I think, twelve hundred pins on there now, and uh, you can see you can sort of look in your area wherever you live and see who we've worked with there, and those are the organizations that we give the books to, um, or in some cases sell the books to at cost and they're giving them out to their, their clients. And there's all kinds of incredible stories coming up, coming out of that. 
Um, I'll make sure to link to all of this stuff yeah. on our show notes so that people can find your website and find the book and, and all of that stuff. Yeah, I just think that's, to me, that's incredibly exciting. So, you know, it's easy. Basically, it's the easiest thing in the world. Like, even just Google Good and Cheap or my name. You'll find the book. You'll be, you know, it's the easiest thing. You can get the PDF. If you like it, you can buy one and help sort of support that program. Because um, it's been crazy. I always, I always thought, you know, okay, it'll be like food pantries and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing that do it. And absolutely, we have a lot of those. But we have so much more. You know, we have um, a lot of farmers markets, especially because farmers markets now are, are working really hard to um, attract a lot more people to, to use their food stamps. At, right. I know at the, um, green market closest to where I live, you get basically like double your money if yeah, you use snap at the exactly. green market, yeah. which is awesome. It's incredible. Um, yeah. In New York in the summer, there are these health bucks that, that do just what you're saying. And that's happening all over the country. There's different programs everywhere and they've become increasingly popular. I think every year, I think in Philadelphia, the use of them has tripled or quadrupled every year. So they're growing just enormously. It's great. Um, so farmers markets, we also have, you know, daycare centers, schools, um, all kinds of healthcare organizations of various types. Oddly enough, we, we hear from a lot of health insurance companies, which Hmm. I never really would have expected, except that it makes total sense. Um, we don't give them the free copies. Um, we we give (laughs) nonprofits the free copies, um, but we do, we sell them to them. Um, and they'll, they'll give them out to a lot of their clients. Um, sometimes they're Medicaid clients and, and, and just, uh, because they see that as being something that is frankly going to affect their bottom line. They're, they're caring about the public health of their clients. So there's a lot of public health organizations that we work with as well, which is really interesting again, because you know, when you were asking me earlier, there isn't this sort of huge health message in there, but you can see that that's, um, that's sort of a part of the ultimate goal of it. It's something that sort of naturally occurs when Mm -hmm. you cook for yourself at home and you eat and you tend to cook more vegetables and fruits and right. grains than, um, than meat and, and sort of processed stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think this would make a great, um, graduation gift also. I mean, oh, yeah. this episode will come out at the wrong time, but I know people start thinking early. Yeah. So, um, if you know, I know I needed this kind of information when I was first coming out of school and first you know, living on my own and, you know, trying to pay for groceries with my own money. And absolutely. uh, I hear from so many parents. I, when I was on tour last year, so many parents were like, I'm getting this for my kids are just moving out. They'd have a stack of three, like they're all going to (laughs) university somewhere or whatever. And I also am lucky enough to get to speak at universities a lot. And, um, even apart from just the obvious practical, you know, if you're a, a, student who's temporarily poor, who's going to move through something, or if you're a student who, you know, comes from a background where you really are struggling, um, and campus hunger has become increasingly a much bigger issue. There's food pantries in most campuses now, um, which is sort of a real hidden frustration and and sadness. But so that's a, it's a big issue there, but I, I get to, to go and speak at these places and there's huge interest in this kind of information because you know, we, the, the fact is we haven't, we don't teach cooking in schools. It's not, it's not a part of public education. It is something that is assumed happens in the home. And that's not, that's a bogus assumption. Totally. You know? It's, it's crazy. Um, not everyone is learning that anymore. Um, yeah. And, I wish... and there should be a basic amount that you learn in school for in... boys and girls, please. Yes. For uh, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think you should have to learn how to cook some basic stuff. You should learn the basics of budgeting. You should learn how to sew on a button. 
Uh, I've barely learned that one. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I'm still basically like hacking it out. Every time I look up a YouTube video for how to sew on a button, it's pretty pathetic. Well, that's, I, I think, you know, in, in terms of all life skills, but also in terms of cooking, like the book is a great place to start and sort of like get inspired that like this is a thing you are actually empowered to do. And then once you have that, like now we live in this time where like there are more recipes on the internet than you oh could ever gosh. hope to cook. It's overwhelming. Sometimes. Totally. Like, so if I get, like if I cook my six chickpea recipes and I'm like, I'm really into chickpeas now, what else can I cook with chickpeas? Like you can find totally all the things in the world. Yeah. Yes. Um, so it's, uh, it's a, you know, in some ways a good time to be like learning in a lot of ways it's a great time to be learning how to cook even though we maybe like culturally haven't taught those things as much as we used to in like instead we have like all of this information that yeah you can self-teach through Mm -hmm. through the internet absolutely i mean that's how i learned a, Mm -hmm. a ton of things um personally and i think at different ages your attitude to it is a little bit different. Like I think younger people, um, I love teaching cooking classes to kids or even not cook, not even a structured cooking class, but more yeah. sort of making food together. It's the best because to them, for the most part, it is not a chore. It right. is a cool activity. Yeah, it's an art project, except you get to eat it. It's an art project or it's like magic. It's mm-hmm. like, how did this happen? Like some of the, the changes that occur, um, when you're cooking are incredible. They're amazing. I mean, the way cookies go from from dough into like that's amazing. Yeah. Or whipping egg whites. Like there's these incredible I still basically feel like those things are magic. They are. <laughs> they really like they are basically. Yeah. Um and so when kids in particular learn that at an age, that age where you know their brains are like sponges, they can take it all in. That is so powerful for them for the rest of their lives. They know how to do that stuff. And you or even if they don't remember all that much of it and they don't um, retain it and, and think of themselves as, oh, I cook at home a lot. It's something they've experienced, something that has been modeled to them enough so that when they do decide at some point that they need to start cooking um, for themselves or for their families or whatever impetus gets you into there, they'll be like, yeah, I know it's okay. They won't have that myth of like, this is impossible. Only right. top chefs can do this. It's like, well, I did that when I was eight. Out. So yeah, they're like, wait, I made hummus mm-hmm. when I was, you know, 10 for my whole class. So I think it's going right. to be okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, if people want to find you and your work um, on the internet or elsewhere, where should they look for you? So just my website is uh, leannebrown.com um, and L-E-A-N-N-E brown, just like the color. Um, we're also on Facebook. I try to, I'm terrible at social media. I will apologize for that. I'm trying to get better. But, and I post on Facebook uh, from time to time, sort of sharing what I'm up to. Um, it's eat good and cheap. Uh, on Facebook and and yeah, if that's where you like to hang out, go there. I'm also on Twitter, um, L E E L B, and Instagram as well. And that's just Leanne. I think Leanne Brown or Leanne E Brown. I think it's Leanne E Brown. Yeah, I, I asked you a question, yeah. but I'll admit I have it written in front of me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for for talking to us about eating good and cheap. Uh, I'm inspired to to go and cook some Yay. stuff uh, when I get home. Good. So, thanks, Leanne. That's what I like to hear. Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is usually hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shaw-Flam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on iTunes, Google Play Music, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes and for help subscribing, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at justonemorepod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash just one more podcast or you can email us at info at just one more podcast.com thanks again and we'll see you next week